is Evan Mark Katz, dating coach for smart, strong, successful women, and your personal trainer for love. Welcome back to the Love You Podcast, where you're going to learn everything there is to know about dating, relationships, sex, and men from a man's point of view. Today, we're talking about how to become a great partner and create unconditional love. Now, I know there's a lot of skeptics out there um, who don't think that unconditional love is possible. I want to tell you that it is something to strive for. Uh, it's not. It's it's something without which you won't have a happy relationship. So um, I want to get into great detail today. I think today is going to be a little long, a uh, little rambling. Um, I have maybe even less rambling. I, I have sometimes I just do these things largely off the cuff. I make a, a list of bullet points. Today I wrote this whole thing out like it was an article because I had so much to say about it. So um, bear with me as I, as I get through all this material. I think it's it's really important, juicy stuff. Um, but I needed to organize myself uh, before I just turned on the camera. Most of us are experts in what we give, not in what we receive. Uh, that's, that in and of itself is, is, for most people, when you stop and think about it, an eye open. Uh, I'm in a partnership where, again, it's not me, it's, it's all of us. We all pay attention to how we sacrifice for our partner, how we shut up and bite our tongues, how we give in to arguments, how we compromise. We all know the things that we do to be great partners. Right? And we are less attuned to the things that our partners do for us because they don't always come out and tell you, here's how I bit my tongue, here's how I sacrificed, here's how I compromised for you, here's where I gave in when I didn't have to. Right? So I encourage you to just consider the idea that if you think you are you know, uh, the, the one who's doing the, the better relationship partner, you're not alone. If you look back in all your relationships, I want to ask, I want you to ask how many times he was the problem versus you were the problem. How many times w was he the better partner than you? And how many times were you the better partner than he? I would guess that 90, 95% of the time, you feel that you were the better partner. And I would guess that most men feel the same way in return. So it's a bit like politics. We have two people who are looking at the exact same thing from two different perspectives, focusing on two different things, and are more likely to issue blame to the other person in the relationship than take responsibility. What we're trying to do is get a more objective point of view. And objectivity is hard. Um, I recently wrote a blog post that's, that's, I wouldn't say it's gone viral, but the comments section has gone viral. Everybody's weighing in on what seems to be like a really tiny, stupid incident. A uh, woman is in a, a happy relationship her boyfriend loves her, he expresses it, he moved in with her, he's talking about marriage, he really wants to be married. She has no complaints about the relationship. Uh, they're divorced, both divorced in their mid-30s, and um, she wants him to buy a diamond wedding ring. He doesn't think it's the best investment of his money. Um, he's like, I'll get a, a wedding ring tattoo, but I just, uh, you know, I, I married a woman who I got her a big rock and she cheated on me a month later, so I'm not that inclined to spend that much money on a diamond ring again. We still have to throw a wedding. We're trying to build a life together. So he's got this very practical view of what a wedding ring means. She's got a romantic view of what the wedding ring means. Right. The interesting thing that I found um, was in the comment section. Women lined up on one side and men lined up on the other side to justify their respective points of view. When women said, you don't understand. I mean, everybody gets a ring. It's it's tradition. It's a it's a symbol. Um, you know, it, it's it, it lets the woman know that she's been chosen. It it lets the world know. And again, if you feel that way, you're entitled to that. I mean, my wife has a, a wedding ring. I, 
It's my dad, it's the ring that my dad gave to my mom, so it didn't cost me anything, but my wife has a wedding ring, so I, mean, I, I get the idea of, of a wedding ring. But there's a, a, a very valid counter argument that men made saying that, hey, two frugal, admittedly both frugal divorced people in their 30s, this isn't necessarily the best way to spend their money. His commitment's not really in doubt. He's already said that he wants to marry her. He's already living with her voluntarily. He's already offered to tat tattoo a ring on himself. He, he's really just questioning the, the expenditure and the value of, of that symbol. So this question is really, you know, about a difference of opinion. Right? Values, you know, values surrounding money and, and symbolism, but it's not really about their relationship. Right? She values the, the diamond ring. He doesn't value the diamond ring in the way that she does. So I could see both sides. What's interesting is that people on both sides of the aisle are having a really hard time seeing the other person's point of view. She sees every single person gets a wedding ring, so that's just the way it should be. And any guy who questions it is, you know, potentially cheap. Um, and he thinks he shows his love in a million ways more than the rock on her finger, right? The, 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 the ring should be, to her, incidental in his point of view. So they're both upset that they're not giving the other person's argument any weight. My feelings trump your feelings, right? or, or, or so the dialogue goes. Right? What I feel is more important than what you feel. And that brings us to the real problem, the reason I'm doing this podcast today. Someone who's good at relationships is going to be able to see things from the other person's point of view without having their arm twisted. Right? It's the arm twisting that's a hard part. If, if, if this woman's husband can't understand why she's sensitive and wants a ring and diminishes it and tells her that it's silly, then he's not necessarily a good, you know, a sensitive and good negotiating partner. Similarly, and again, I don't think any woman could agree with it. You know, you shouldn't dismiss her desire for a ring as silly. Similarly, you shouldn't hit, dismiss his desire to be a little more smart and frugal with his second marriage than he was with his first one as silly either, right? One's feelings don't trump the other person's feelings. Good relationships find a point where two people can compromise. Now. Two people can't always compromise on everything. You can't compromise on having a baby and not having a baby, for example. Right? For most people, that's not realistic. I mean, so there are things where, you know, you can't say, I'm going to raise my kids Catholic and also legitimately raise your kids Jewish. You're making a choice, usually. And it's hard to find compromise on certain things, but there are things that shouldn't necessarily be deal breakers. I got 150 comments on this on this damn blog post where everybody's just revealing their own relationship blind spots, which is largely their inability to see and validate another person's point of view. Right? In this instance, right, what a lot of women, and again, I'm a coach for women, I'm, I, there's plenty of things men do wrong, it's just not what I'm here for. A lot of women had trouble giving credence to the idea that a guy could be deeply in love, committed to you, want to get married, <laughs> Right? Show his love for you in a million ways, spending quality time with you, doting affection on you, um, complimenting you incessantly, doing small things on a day-to-day -day basis that make you happy, taking out the trash and buying you flowers and asking you how your mom's feeling. He could do all that stuff right and is really shocked that it's not good enough if he doesn't buy a ring that's worth over $5,000. Right? Men find this surprising. Women don't always see it as surprising. So this whole thing got me to thinking, and I wrote this down. There are three different ways that people do things for their spouses. Because the argument here was that he should want to do what she wants him to do. 
And, I, and that's, a, that's, that's a specious argument. It doesn't hold up, the idea that he should want to do whatever she wants him to do. Um, the three things are, I want to do it myself. And this goes for men and women alike. I want to do it. I have to do it, and I'll willingly do it with grumbling reservations. Or, th or three, I won't do it. Those are the sort of the three options. So there's many things I want to do for my wife voluntarily. Right? I, I'm hosting a karaoke party tonight with her mommy friends and their, and their husbands, and I'm paying for the, the whole thing. I want to do that. It'll be fun for me, but it makes my wife happy to be surrounded by her friends. I voluntarily brought her flowers last week. Right? Um, there's, I mean, I'm always doing little things to make my wife happy just because it's a joy to make her happy and I have the means and I have the desire. At the same time, there's things that I do for my wife just because she's my wife and I love her and I don't necessarily want to do them. I kind of have to do them, right? I'll, it's, it's obligation more than joy. I, I'm the one who wakes up with the, the kids uh, on, on the, the uh, weekends because my wife wants to sleep in. She doesn't get to sleep in when she takes them to school, so I'm the one who wakes up early with the kids on the, the weekend and, and gets them out of bed and changes them and feeds them. And I'll stay in twin beds in her mom's house, um, in her childhood bedroom, instead of getting a hotel. I want to get a hotel when I go to visit her mom. She likes to stay in her childhood home because it's convenient and the kids are there. So I sleep in, in, in a twin bed without my wife when I'm at her, her mom's house. And sort of routinely, I'll wait 45 minutes patiently reading things on my phone um, while my wife does some project uh, before bed when like literally this is this is this is sex night we're prepared for sex and she finds like some other thing to do and I sort of sit there and wait for her right until 1230 at night when she's done with her project and so these are things that I do because I have to and I do it with a little bit of a, a, a grumble and a little bit of passive aggressiveness but at the end of the day I do it because that's marriage we all make compromises to be with each other and finally there's some things I won't do like I won't do it all. Um, I'm where I put my foot down. I won't go out four straight nights. My wife is, an, I'm an extrovert. My wife's an uber extrovert. So I won't go out four straight nights and make plans four straight nights. I need a night to recharge and be by myself. I won't fly to visit her dad in Florida. Sorry, I'm, you know, uh, he and I are, are very much not on, on, on the same page and I don't want to trash her dad publicly, but I'm not going to plan a trip around visiting her dad in Florida. Um, I'm not going to spend five, ten thousand dollars to go on an international trip to go to some acquaintance's wedding. We've been invited to, to acquaintance's weddings where my wife's like, let's go. And I'm like, I'm not spending five to ten thousand dollars on a trip to, for an acquaintance just because, personally. Um, and I'm probably not going to give up a Saturday to, to an entire Saturday to drive to the desert to go visit her cousin for her ki cousin's kid's sixth birthday party. I will find, a, you know, I'll, I'll ask to be let off the hook and, and stay home because I don't want to lose an entire Saturday to something that has so little meaning to me. That's, again, that, that, that sounds selfish, but those are isolated incidents. It took me a while to think of what those things were. So what you see is that right, there's, I want to do it, I have to do it, or I won't do it. And in a good relationship, the first two, I want to or I have to, makes up 95% of the interactions. You naturally just do things because you want to, because you love your partner, or it's a compromise that you're willing to make because that's what love is about. It's, it's making a whole bunch of you know, little compromises and little sacrifices that make the other person happy, but don't really cost you that much. Right? And those doing those things routinely make you a good partner. The more lines you draw, the more things you say, no, I won't do, the harder you are, right? 
So strong couples can A, agree to disagree, B, compromise, or C, let the disagreement define and destroy the relationship, right? whatever that is. Right? If my wife chose to dump me over the fact that I didn't want to go to her cousin's kid's birthday party and drive six hours in a day, right? I mean, I could, I could put my foot down, right? she could put her foot down, we could turn it into a whole big thing, or this is something we, we agree to disagree. Right? She'll let me off the hook for that one. If I put my foot down all the time, I'd be a selfish partner. Right? She would have every right to dump me. Right? So this is where things get kind of dicey. I see that good compromise is, this, is the ticket to success in a relationship. Frequent compromise, easy compromise. You compromise your way into happiness. When I say this, I, I know I have a whole bunch of women saying, no, you don't understand. I was a great partner. I was a great wife. I became a doormat. I gave him to all of his wishes, and I'm not doing that anymore. And this is where you get it wrong. In the past, you've compromised on things that you didn't want to compromise on, and some selfish guy took advantage of that. So the corrective is therefore to say, I'm going to set boundaries. I'm not going to compromise anymore. The problem is not compromising is a terrible way to start a relationship. As I said, good relationships... 95% of interactions are fundamentally easy. You do nice things because you want to, or you do nice things because they make your partner happy and they don't cost you very much in the grand scheme of things. They're, they're relatively easy compromises. It's when you start making compromises that you can't live with, or you're the only person who's compromising that you feel taken advantage of. So the answer to being a doormat is not to suddenly become a selfish bitch with really strong boundaries. It is to, again, be trusting, generous, open, and flexible those are good, good relationship characteristics. And know that if your partner doesn't exhibit similar behavior, he's not going to be, be your partner for long. Right? He's not going to take advantage of you. If he takes advantage of you, he loses you. But you still have to be the same kind of partner that you want your man to be, which is agreeable 95% of the time. Right? Instead of you know, taking everything and turning it into a negotiation. And that's what I thought of when I thought of this, this ring thing, returning something that doesn't have to be important into something that could be a deal breaker. So in the second half of the podcast, I'm gonna talk about all the qualities that you need according to science to be a great partner, to create unconditional love. My name is Evan Marquez. This is the Love You Podcast, and we will be right back. Hey, this is Evan Marquette, dating coach for smart, strong, successful women, your personal trainer for love. Welcome back to the second half of this Love You podcast. We're talking about how to, what are we talking about today? How to be a great partner and create unconditional love. I feel like I should have known that. Um, this is what happens when you have too many notes, you sort of forget what you're saying, but I mean it. Um, I'm going to go deep on how to be a great partner and I'm going to approach it from a very narrow angle. Um, this is sort of the limitations of being a, a coach who helps people find the right partner and then lets them fly. Right? My Love You program is really just designed to, to walk you through the process of making healthier relationship choices. By the time you're done with it, you're going to be able to do this kind of stuff on your own. That's the idea of dating coaching, not that I coach you for the rest of your life. So what happens is people learn what they need to learn from me. They find themselves boyfriends and two and a half years later, they get a ring. Right? They don't always remember to tell me, but I'm the one who kind of got them there, but it's a long time ago. And so 
I don't coach people in happy relationships. And that's one of, one of the interesting things is people in happy relationships don't say, you know what, I think I need a dating coach. All right, so I rarely get to talk to happy couples in depth about what makes their relationship work. The only relationship I could talk about in, in, in that respect is mine because it's the only one that I'm living. Does that make any sense? So in the second half of this podcast, I'm going to talk a lot about my relationship, not because um, I'm overly narcissistic or because I want you to think that my relationship is perfect or that I'm the avatar of all that's good in the world, but literally because it's the only one where I can be very, very specific about how these qualities of being a great partner manifest themselves in a relationship. Right? And what you can do, right? you can listen to these things and say, oh, I'm the kind of person who does that, or I had a boyfriend who does that, and just make a more conscious effort to bring these into your relationship so that you can create something that, that really does resemble unconditional love. So these are the qualities of ideal partners. Right? These are qualities that both men and women need to have to be in a partnership. And these are not just my ideas. You could do endless amounts of research and they will tell you the same thing. I'm just gonna tell you in about 10 minutes in the second half of a podcast. But all, everything I'm telling you is true and these are all real life examples about how my wife and I treat each other to make our relationship so solid, so sustainable, and something that uh, I'd like to see that you have as well. Flexible. The ideal partner is flexible, essentially willing to compromise. Um, my wife was willing to let me, we, we just planned a trip uh, to New York and we, we could allocate our time in a certain amount of way. We're equal partners in the relationship, but um, I cared really more about seeing my, my cousins and college friends in New York City. She's got a stepmom who lives in upstate New York and she pretty much said, I'll let you have, you know, you know, the, we've you know, got an odd number of days. I'll let you have the extra day in New York City so we get to spend more time with your part of the family than my part of the family. Right? That's flexible. That's compromising. and It's greatly appreciated. In turn, I'm compromising today. Right? After I'm done here shooting, this is a Friday. After I'm done here shooting, um, my wife asked me to take off the day of work. I never take off the day of work. I'm, a, I'm a, like a nine to five forever. I just force myself to work. So I'm taking off the second half of the day of work. Um, because she wants me to, and we are driving to uh, Santa Inez Valley, a town called Los Olivos, where they filmed Sideways, and we're going wine tasting, and we're going to have a nice fancy dinner, um, you know, up the California coast uh, later tonight, and just drive back tonight. Um, that's a compromise um, that I normally wouldn't make. I, I like to do my nine to five days. Um, selfless. My wife just, uh, I, I mentioned in a previous boot camp, I just uh, did a I just I mentioned in a previous podcast, I just did a boot camp. I also have a, a retreat for Love You Graduates. Love You Graduates from, from uh, last year. I'm doing a, an event at the Four Seasons in Scottsdale. My wife, who's a former event planner, um, stayed up all night to put together a proposal, right, so that I could put this event together for, for me and my business. My wife doesn't work for me. This is just her skill set that she used to do before she was, she was uh, a, a, a full-time mom. And she, literally, that's the way she operates. She pulls all-nighters. And she pulled an all-nighter to do a presentation for my business for free. That is selfless. In turn, my wife is going to be going to uh, uh, one of her, she's got a million mommy friends. She's like the mayor of our town. So she's going to a baby shower this weekend. And that leaves me at home alone to do all the errands. So I'm going to be cleaning out their garage. And there's a dead lizard in there. And there's a bunch of spider webs. And I'm going to have to go to Home Depot and take out all the 
and the, the lawn furniture in the backyard and I'm gonna be flying solo on that while she's at a baby shower. And that, you know, that is my uh, nod to being selfless in the relationship. So it's this constant, as you could see, and I've got a million more examples, this sort of constant, I'd say it's give and take, but it's really just give and give, right? Relationships with two givers work. Relationships where one person is a taker doesn't, and it doesn't matter the gender of the taker, right? Um, brings us to the, the next quality of, of good relationships is giving. My wife, uh, we're throwing a, a karaoke party tomorrow. Um, my wife uh, is a metabolic wonder. Um, she eats everything. She still looks great. Um, I don't have that problem. I come from a fat family, so I'm very conscious about what I eat. So she's planning this whole menu and she, she comes into my office and says, what healthy options do you want me to serve? Like she doesn't serve healthy appetizers. She doesn't serve anything healthy, but she is concerned about my desire for this party that we're throwing for her friends. How could I find you something that you want to eat at this party? Um, that's the kind of person that my wife is. Um, Mother's Day, again, this, this is being aired in June, but you know, Mother's Day is coming up when, when I'm filming this. And I did some research online and I put together, not an Excel spreadsheet, it was shorter than that, but I put together an email with links to five different things that she can do for Mother's Day. Right, I did the research and she just has to choose one. Right, that's my way of being giving, right? I'm trying to think of what she wants and trying to deliver it to her instead of either doing nothing and saying, uh, I don't know, what do you want to do? Right? Or just letting the holiday pass as if it doesn't matter. And some people don't make a big deal about holidays. Uh, I do. Uh, and I got that from my mom. I was heavily influenced by my mom. Next characteristic of a, a, a happy couple. So we're both parties are, parties are easygoing. Now you can see the overlap between these things, right? Giving and selfless, easygoing and flexible. Right? These, these are the things that allow people to spend 40 years together without killing each other. Right? And again, as I go on my tangents, I just want you to understand, that's a big part of getting married. People think that getting married is, you know, you know who are the who's the person you're the most attracted to, who impresses you the most, who you're the most passionate about. I would say, who's the person you could spend the most time with without wanting to kill them? Is, is probably the bar that you're really setting because that's what marriage is. This, you're choosing one person to spend all of your spare time with. You better get along a lot and be able to work out these details and continue to give to each other. So people often use the wrong metrics. These are the metrics that I want to push you towards. Easygoing. My wife lets me, and again, this is our relationship, she lets me tease her for being vain, OCD, and a hoarder. Uh, and she is, in fact, all of those. <laughs> um, my example of being easygoing is because she is vain OCD and a hoarder. She went to her mom's house the other day, picked up 10 old prom dresses and bridesmaids dresses from the 80s and the 90s and brought them home, um, ostensibly to store in our attic for the rest of our lives. Um, and then started to try them all on. And then came into my office while I was working to ask me to take pictures of her that she could send to her friends in their bridesmaids dresses from 15 years ago. <laughs> And I'm like, I just, you know, this is one of the things that qualifies as the, uh, I don't really want to do it, but I do it because you're my wife. So I sort of smile and nod and grimace. And I'm like, okay, honey. And she comes back five minutes later. Okay, this is just the last one. Please take a picture in this one. And uh, because she's so easygoing as a person, it kind of forces me, because I'm not easygoing, it forces me to be better around her. And that's the value of being a great partner. You bring out the best in the other person that you're with. He rises to meet you. Content. Right? There's a, a, a book about happiness that talked about qualities in a, in a good partner include a lack of seeking novelty. 
It doesn't mean being boring, but it means being content with what you have instead of thinking, oh, there's always a better, you know, a, a prettier, younger, thinner woman out there. It's the person who's fundamentally content with what he has. My wife is content. As I already said, she received a hand-me-down engagement ring from my mom. <laughs> And she really has no interest in real jewelry or brand names. That's not the way she operates. She's very, she, she has a very middle-class mentality that no matter whether we make it to the upper class or not, I appreciate that she doesn't uh, ask for, demand, need, or even seem to want the impressive trappings of the rich. Where I'm content is that maybe it's because of what I do, and I listen to, all, you know, to so many women, um, and maybe it's because I've been on so many dates myself, but I make it crystal clear to my wife that I'm completely whipped on her <laughs> and that she's the perfect woman for me and that I never, I, it never, I never even entertain the idea that there's someone out there that I would be happier with other than her. And so that makes her feel really secure right, so that I can go and do this job and I can talk about our relationship and my flaws and her flaws and her family and, and women I dated in the past and hold events with women surrounding me and none of it threatens her. Right? because I make her feel safe, because I am so content with what I have. Right? I don't think that there's something better out there. Sensitive, someone who's sensitive to his or her par partner's emotional cues, big thing. Right? My wife is sensitive in as much as that she really lets me be me in a way that no other woman has ever done before. Uh, I'm very well-read and very political. Um, that's not necessarily a good thing. And so I'll constantly go on <laughs> politically fueled rants that she merely tolerates without judgment, and largely doesn't interrupt um, and doesn't judge. And it never explodes into an argument if there's a disagreement, um, even if she disagrees with me. That takes an amazing sensitivity to other people's feelings to just let someone go off on their tangent, which may or may not interest you, and still stay present and non-judgmental. Um, I try to be sensitive to my wife in that um, her, we live in Los Angeles, her home is in San Diego. Right? That's where her best friends are, that's where her family, her mom, uh, brother, um, you know, most of her closest friends in the world from her childhood are there. And um, I know that sometimes they all get together, like that's how close they are. Like sometimes her brother gets together with her best girlfriends and they have a party and her mom and dad come over and right? it's like a whole... It's like a whole thing, and, and sometimes because we live three hours away and we've got two little kids, we don't go. And I remember recently my wife was, you know, started to cry because, you know, she's built this amazing life in Los Angeles, but she misses her life in San Diego. And um, I, I listen and I hug and I don't judge and I, you know, I validate where she's coming from. And um, uh, it's important that a husband can be sensitive to his wife's feelings, even if he doesn't necessarily understand the feelings or share the feelings. And um, uh, having a sensitive partner who, who validates you and gets you is, is, is big in long-term relationships. You can't have someone constantly, you know, making you feel silly about being yourself. Um, helpful, right? When you're, when, when you're in a marriage, it's like you're, um, uh, I think Lori Gottlieb said this in her Marry Him, Marry Him book, um, it's like you're running a small business together. Right? You're, each, you're each business partners and you have different duties and different responsibilities and you really got to respect what the other person's doing. Any, any husband who's, you know, I work from home so I see what my wife does, but any guy who thinks his stay-at-home wife has a life of leisure, you know, let your wife go out of town for a weekend, take the kids for a day, 
see if you want to switch lives, <laughs> right? So you have to really be sensitive to each other's roles, right? And my wife is really sensitive to my role as the breadwinner in, in the house, right? And, and, and she does her best to, to make my life easier. Um, you know, I, I'm pressed for time. I don't always get to work out. And, and I'm, you know, I, I've talked about, you know, gaining a little bit of weight. My wife just moved back dinner, cutting into her own personal time. She moved back dinner an hour so we could eat earlier with the kids instead of eating later at night, eating these big meals that fill me up. She's sensitive to my needs, um, uh, even if it doesn't necessarily agree with her schedule. And she's willing to make that compromise and help me out. And because my wife is taking on the, the, the uh, lion's share of cooking duties, um, I take on 100% of the bathing duties. So I get out of work, I play with the kids, and I'm the one who bathes two little kids in the bath at the same time. And if you've ever done that, it is not a pleasure cruise to bathe two little kids at the same time. So my, but it allows my wife the freedom to take care of other stuff. So I immediately go into domestic mode. Uh, and so, you know, again, I've heard over the years, men are doing more housework and child rearing than, than they've ever done before. They've come a long way, but still women do the disproportionate share of it. And they often resent their partners for it. So in our marriage, I vow not to be one of those guys, right? I'm going to be the person who, who, you know, does it, you know, as the main breadwinner does the lion's share, doesn't do the lion's share, but does as much as he can to contribute to the household. I know this is a lot about me, my wife, my kids, my marriage, my behavior, but at the foundation is the idea that I haven't been able to adequately get across in my blog comments, and I'm hoping this, this medium podcasting video does a better job. To many of the people who are my detractors, Again, I hate using it, it, sound, it sounds too self-important, but the people that I argue with on my blog on the internet, they believe that there's no such thing as unconditional love, right? Men either leave you or hurt you. That's your experience, and so your belief is that, you know, uh, or, or if they hurt you, then you leave them. So everything always ends, so how is there anything such as unconditional love? And I'm, I've never said that you should stay in a relationship where, where you're not happy, where someone's misbehaving, where, where you're being mistreated, or you're not valued. What I am saying is this. If you want to be a great partner, you have to act as if your relationship is unconditional. Act as if your relationship is unconditional. Instead of acting like you've got one foot out, right? you want to treat this person as if they're a permanent part of your life. Right? You want to figure out the optimal way to get along and every day wake up, how do I make my partner's life better? How do I compromise? Right? How do I go the extra mile? How do I give more instead of pulling back and giving less? So the idea of unconditional love, it's, yes, it's a, it's a construct. Technically, if my wife, you know, murdered my sister, then, then no, I guess our love is not unconditional. But unconditional love is like, an, it's, a, it's an act of faith. It's, again, we talk about having faith in a higher power or something like that. You can't prove that it's real. You can't disprove that it's real. It's, it's faith. My relationship is built on an act of faith. Right? As I said, technically, my wife could destroy it. I could destroy it if I wanted to, but I have no incentive to do so, right? I go out of my way to make her life better. She goes out of her way to make my life better. And from that foundation, that constant giving, love, acceptance, tolerance, patience, flexibility, compromise, we have a solid foundation upon which nothing could really rock our foundation. I wrote a, a blog recently. My wife and I both had dreams in the same night that we cheated on each other, which was weird. Right? And we told each other and we laughed at it. And that was it. Someone else's relationship, this would cause a fight. 
but our relationship is so rock solid that we don't penalize each other for things that we dreamed about that we're not necessarily responsible for. So unconditional love is ultimately a self-fulfilling prophecy. By acting as if your love is unconditional, treating this person as a permanent part of your life, they become one. That's how firmly entrenched they become. That's how wonderfully codependent a successful relationship is. Right? So I would really encourage you, if you've heard this and you're skeptical, skeptical, try out some of these ideas of being flexible, selfless, giving, easygoing, content, sensitive, helpful. Be more of that to your partner. See what your partner gives back to you. If he doesn't give back, he's not worthy of being your partner. But being a better partner brings out a better side in your partner and is bound to make your relationship, make him want to say, wow, I'm a really lucky guy for having such an amazing, flexible, generous partner. Right? Find a good man, give more, you'll get more, I promise. My name is Evan Mark Katz. This is the Love You Podcast. Next episode, I'm going to talk about why it's so hard to be a modern man. You don't want to miss that. If you enjoy this podcast, I really hope you do. Go subscribe. Click, wait till the end of the video. Click the subscribe button, something below. I don't know how YouTube works, but make sure you subscribe on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter and go to www.evanmarkkatz. Give me your name and email address and I will send you free dating and relationship advice until you don't need any more dating and relationship advice. I thank you for your time and attention and I will see you again next week. Thank you.